Hey, Jason. Hi, Jack. What's up? Not much, man. How are you? I'm cool. Yeah? Yeah, a good day. Uh, did you do some fun stuff? You didn't work, I'm assuming. No, I was off today. I went to work. But my manager left at like two, no, at like noon because she was sick. So then I just kind of researched terrorism like, all day. Mom's gone. I'm going to look up terrorism. Yeah, that looking back, that probably wasn't the best thing to spend my day researching. Um, I mean, it was for the show. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, but I don't right? know if they know that. Luckily, as always, most of my citation was Wikipedia. I didn't really go yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. the Anarchist Cookbook or anything like yeah. that. Um, I went to like... That's what I do on my home Wikipedia, computer. the ACLU site. Uh, yeah. I like to... Like, just knowing that there's an NSA guy, NSA guy watching me, probably, or monitoring me in some way, I like to occasionally throw him for a loop. Yeah, like, you know, normally it'll be back and forth, like... Uh, I was like, oh, he's looking up a band. I was looking at porn. I was looking up a video game quest. I was looking, looking at, at porn. porn. And then all of a sudden, he'll be like, what the? Is he a brony now? Why is he looking at my little... Oh, what? And just to like, just keep it interesting. You yeah. Know, you got to throw it all... If it doesn't fit the algorithm, then, you know, it keeps it... You know, keep keeps them on their, them on their toes. toes. Exactly. You know, yeah. Jinx, you owe me some Coke. Um, okay. Anyway, this uh, this week, did you enjoy the, uh, the research that we did? Made me sad. Did it? Um, did it's it make you more depressed. sad than last week or less sad? Why don't you tell me how that made you I feel? Just, I don't know. I just, I, I was on, so start, I was on the, start at your childhood. I was on the Southern Poverty Law Center website looking up like lists of hate groups, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I think it was the first one I was clicking on. It's like, I don't want to go to their website. <laughs> right. But it was just, a, it was a link to a, a, a longer page of, well, that, on but, the SLPC. But in that same SLPC. vein, if you were starting to click on those links, it could probably throw your NSA guy off too because it's like, you know, your normal search history and then all of a sudden they'd be like, is he a white supremacist? Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I don't even think white people are that great, so. Yeah, no, we're, we're, uh, is that, is that racist cyst to, what is it, a self-hating racist? Uh, I don't know. Do you prefer any races to the white race? Uh, I mean, no, I just think the white races, it's run its course. Let's be real. We've had a good run. <laughs> Let's just be done with it. What is, so what are you suggesting? Just, uh, just, uh... No, not genocide. Just, like, stop procreating. Stop being in power. Stop, like, you know, taking things that aren't ours. Is the is the best way to do that just to admonish the power? I mean, to distribute it. How would you just yeah, how just you, distribute the power equally amongst all the people? How do you quantify power? I don't know. Like give a give a branch of each branch of the government to a different race. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, I'm intrigued by it, and I will mull it over when okay. I have my Illuminati meeting Perfect. later this week. Yeah. God. Thank you for taking it to them. I've been trying to get in touch. Do you know how hard it is to get in touch with the Rothschilds? It took me literally years. I'm so glad I have a man on the inside. Do you? You. Oh, yeah. Fuck. I think facts started when it all started. It's always okay to punch a Nazi. You're telling me that I can use this phone for more than checking Facebook and Grinder on the go. Fuck you and fuck Mars. Things are the best they've ever been. So the only way to go is down. Oh, I built a straw man argument. Here's the thing though, this shit still stinks. So that's when that's when women's rights really mattered was back then. A podcast by the people, for the people, and of the people. 
Um, so this week we decided to talk about domestic terrorism, and there's a lot to, uh, you know, to kind of divulge. I mean, especially because the um, the definition of terrorism has kind of like broadened and shrunk throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's honestly something that I was really excited to to talk about um, because I've recently taken a huge interest in uh, like the Waco and Oklahoma City bombing and stuff like that. Just because we're it, gonna get to this, but I do not. I disagree with you in calling Wake, Waco uh, a terrorist group, but we'll talk about oh, that. Well, sure. I mean, I, that's, you know, that's not my language. It's the language of the land as far as that's what it's classified as. Um, but was it ever official? We'll get to it. Well, I mean, no, yeah, we'll definitely get to it because the warrant, and I mean, like, dude, I've, and I've tried to be, um, this was something that I really had to make myself be objective about because, mm-hmm. like, the first two uh, documentaries I watched, I was like, what the shit? But then I was like, okay, well, you know, but then again, you know, we'll find like there's conspiracy theories around the Oklahoma City bombing. There's obviously conspiracy theories around 9-11. And with some of those, or honestly, the majority of them, you kind of go like, well, you know, I guess I could see that. But for the most part, this is kind of bullshit. But like even as with my objective into my research, um, like going through Waco, there were just multiple times where I was like, I don't I don't really see any way that like this needed to happen at all. Fair. So in this one, we're going to have to discover who was the real terrorist. The real terrorist was the friends we made along the way. This was inside of us all along. Oh, is that the overarching theme of our show? This is about friendship and forgiveness. Yeah. All right. So, um, so we basically broke it up with... Um, Jack is going to, you were just going to kind of just the history of, of its, and its scope. It's just lists of um, stuff. Yeah, honestly, I mean, there's a lot of lists. And then I get to go into, um, I, I'm going to be comfortably wearing a tinfoil conspiracy hat. That's the majority of okay, this cool. episode. Great. So I'm excited. Great. So, hey, let's talk about them. We talked about the Patriot last week. Yes. Uh, so there's actually the definition of domestic terrorism is in there, kind of. Yes, it was broadened and like. Well, okay, we'll get to it. But basically, Section 802 of the Patriot Act expanded the definition of a, expanded the definition of terrorism to cover domestic, as opposed to international terrorism. You know, because that's kind of the only other option. Yeah. You got your domestic, you got your international. That's, that's about it. That's, that's Congress at two work. Things. That's Congress at work, people. It's two things. Um, so a person engages in domestic terrorism if they do an act, quote, dangerous to human life, that is, an, uh, is a violation of the criminal laws of a state or the United States if the act appears to be intended to, one, intimidate or, co- or coerce a civilian population, two, influence the policy of a government by intimidation or, or coercion, or three, to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination, or kidnapping. Um, additionally, the acts have to occur primarily within the territorial jurisdiction of the U.S., and if they do not, they may be regarded as international terrorism. Okay. That, I mean, that, so basically, you know, homegrown with the uh, purpose of right. hurting or you know, Trying screwing to, with our yeah, civilian yeah. population. To, in order to, I mean, in a way, in order to affect change, but yeah. Because we'll get to some of the groups I looked at, and it's like some of them, like... I'm like, well, I mean, I agree with your total end goal. Like, <laughs> but I mean, that's and it's an important distinction too because it's like if someone was here as an illegal immigrant, then I would assume technically would there, I mean, would it be foreign terrorism? But then if they were actually like had gone through the citizenship, we'll get they, to if they it were in a, a citizen. Second. Okay, uh, kind of. Uh, so 
it's not really a new definition of like domestic terrorism is there. It's just to kind of expand it, the definition. Right. Um, so expanded means get bigger for, uh, Basically, it can expand the type of conduct the government can investigate when it's investigating terrorism. Okay. Um, The U.S. Patriot Act expanded governmental powers to investigate terrorism, and some of these powers are applicable to domestic terrorism. Is basically what it is in there. So Um, it got broadened in scope. So like we talked about, some of those uh, events... uh, uh, Okay, we'll go back um, a little bit. So some of the events that are classified as domestic terrorism... uh, So... Well, let's take the anti-abortion movement for a second. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, anti-abortion violence is actually considered a form of terrorism. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's because it's often committed a, here against individuals and organizations that provide abortions or abortion counseling. Um, incidents have included crimes against people such as murder, assault, kidnapping, stalking, uh, crimes affecting both people and property such as arson or bombing, and property crimes such as vandalism. Um, and those are all... The thing is, those are all crimes anyway right and we'll kind of get to this in a little bit of like it's all crimes anyway that would be persecutable it just um it expanded you know it some it could be classified under terrorism or you could be persecuted prosecuted under like terrorism as well right if if you know it fits under the definition in the u.s it's and it's almost one of those where it doesn't have to be like an either or thing but more like additional counts right 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 uh we'll get to dylan roof in a minute throw the book at him as the old as the old timey judge says yeah um perpetrators may defend their actions as necessary to protect fetuses and are often motivated by their christian beliefs leading to anti-abortion violence's identification as christian terrorism Prices and participation may be only available at some locations. See manager for details. Uh, not available in only in the continental U.S. Yeah. I just wanted to. I really, I just wanted that <laughs> sentence to make sure that people know that there is a, such a thing as Christian terrorism. Um, oh, you know, whatever. Uh, notable incidents incidents of anti-abortion violence include the murders of a number of doctors and clinic staff in the 1990s. Uh, in 1994, Paul Jennings Hill shot Dr. John Britton and clinic escort James Barrett to death, also winning Barrett's wife, June. Uh, John Salvi shot and killed two receptionists, Shannon Lowney and Leanne Nichols, and Paul Hibbled yelled at the clinic, God hates murderers, which feels a little hypocritical. <laughs> yes, I would agree with that statement. Uh, um, <laughs> yes! Eric Robert Rudolph bombed the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta in process of abortion. Killing one person, wounding 111. That's a and then lot. He also bought several abortion clinics in 97 and 98, killing a security guard and critically injuring a nurse. And they, they claimed, or he claimed to be representative of the Army of God, right? Yes. Um, in 2015, Robert Lewis Deere was a 50-year-old Kansas, uh, Kentucky-born man. He moved from South Carolina to North Carolina to Colorado, and then he opened fire on a Planned Parenthood facility killing two civilians and a police officer. Well, hey, you can't kill police officers. <laughs> I mean, you can't kill anyone. Well, I don't think that's right at all. <laughs> okay, get, cop get out of here, cops. Cops. Okay, cops, Cop Spectre. We know the law, Cop Spectre. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, after a five-hour stand-up, Deer told the police, no more baby parts. Um, oh, for fuck's sake. He's been found mentally incompetent to stand trial. That might be old news, but whatever. So, yes, the Olympic Games guy, Eric, up there, uh, he was part of what is slash is. 
I wasn't 100% sure if it was still operating really anymore. Um, it's the Army of God. You mentioned it. Yes. Um, and it is actually designated a terrorist organization. Yeah, it's like it's straight up listed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've also bombed abortion clinics directly and an LGBT nightclub. Um, I think I heard about that. Um, so yeah, basically there's a lot of groups in the U S that might be classified as terrorist organizations, but I couldn't find an official list of like domestic terrorist organizations that like the FBI keeps or like department of Homeland security or anything really keeps. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's because it's protected or you're just a shitty researcher. I. I really did look. I really <laughs> I did. Um, I mean, well, on, like I know on Wikipedia when I was looking at domestic terrorism, they had like maybe nine or ten listed. And right. That was, but that was that all I might saw. be. I don't know if that's Current just a list or... of people that have. Because here's the thing, it may be a list because I have some of those too. Um, I in my research it looks like it's kind of a list of organizations that have produced people who have done terrorist acts oh okay that makes sense but they, it's not like a running list of right gotcha um and i i don't know if it gets into this i um, think that they should have not only all of them listed but also applications to join within that yeah. that hyperlink yeah of course <laughs> of course it'd be a good way to get them get, uh, get you uh, i need a peek <laughs> So, yeah, the, the, I, and I'm kind of going to get to it a little bit, but basically what I kind of saw is that um, it's basically it's like being a part of one of these groups uh, here is not really a terroristic act in and of itself. Okay. Right, just being a part of the group. It just... um, right. If you commit an, a crime that would be considered a terrorist crime as part of the group, the act may be considered an act of terror. Okay. So I think it may be that list on Wikipedia is because I don't know where they got the list of groups. To, like I, I did the research on Wikipedia. I'm like, where did you come up with this list? Whoever made this list? Um, it was the same guy in, in charge of uh, numbering executive orders. Right. <laughs> and I think it's just li like list of it's groups that have been maybe since listed as terrorist groups or whatever because they did terror acts. Yeah. It's not like you form a hate group, and I'll get to that too. It's like hate groups don't automatically get labeled as like terrorist groups because they haven't committed any terrorist acts. Sure, and I mean also, you know, they don't tend to necessarily like publicize when they have a group under watch because that's a really good way to get them to cease all legal activities and be on their toes. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, um, it, so it actually is like obviously illegal to aid any terrorist organization mm -hmm. um specifically foreign terrorist organizations yes. OFAC we talked um, about that basically through any financial or other means um which is what happened and that uh, could get you you know investigated as a supporter of terror but like honestly even just flying an ISIS flag that is not really enough just cause to get you like investigated right. I mean I mean that boils down to freedom of to speech, be fair more or less. to be fair yeah that's why like and I'm kind of getting to that of like, but like, you can fly the flag. Yeah. Um, Let it fly. Your neighbors are definitely going to call the cops on you anytime you sneeze weird. But like, you know, and I'll, I thought about this too, like, and this is a, a little just a side tangent, but whenever like you see people that get mad about like people burning the flag or like desecrating the flag in some way is not inverting the colors of the flag and then adding a blue line to like a black and white spangled background. Isn't that like kind of 
fucking with the flag as it were like there are people in my neighborhood that like fly those thin blue line like we support the police flags mm. but i mean that's not the american flag like it's, yeah but it might be know, i mean it's its own flag sure it's its own thing right but i mean do you, like do you get what i'm saying like yeah. it's, it seems like kind of a, a gray area i don't know maybe we'll, we'll, cut, we'll cut that flag we'll cut sometimes. that in <laughs> Maybe we'll just research <laughs> flags sometime. God damn it. No, I don't want to do it. You want to do that for our Flag Day episode? Yeah. Okay, it's perfect. Today uh, we're talking about flags, then we're going to hang ourselves. Um, <laughs> there's a, I actually watched a TED Talk about the science behind flag design. Really? It's like philology or something something like that is what it's called. Flagology? No, it's like philology. It's dumb. It's a dumb name, and I love saying it. I say it wrong right now. It's a, yeah, as, as, you're, as you're just constantly mispronouncing yeah. it. Um, so well, let's go back to foreign terror groups because since we're talking about terrorism, mm-hmm. let's kind of differentiate. Um, uh, so the FBI, there's not a list of those either that the FBI gives you. That's actually the State Department's job. Um, they designate foreign terrorist organizations, um, and then carrying that banner contains legal ramifications uh so first of all it is unlawful for a person in the u.s to knowingly provide material support or resources to a designated fto um and like i said before it's things like uh providing property lodging training facilities weapons personnel and of course money which is actually that's the background of the bowling green massacre which rest in peace that right. wasn't actually bowling green massacre it was just two guys who were sent out because they were providing terror to foreign agents right, right. Um, or providing money I think they're providing money and guns although I don't know how the fuck you would sh- like just ship guns like I don't know if you smuggled them or what like hey is that an AK-47 like it's all gift wrapped mm-hmm. like, like in a brown <laughs> it's got a bag bow. is that a gun no it's uh, just it's, it's an umbrella it's next day air yeah, yeah right um, it's an umbrella the penguin <laughs> huh? uh, and then secondly if a representative or member of the uh, of a designated F to is an alien they are inadmissible to and in circumstances uh removable from the u.s that makes sense yeah yeah um and then finally any u.s financial institution that finds out it has possession of or control over funds of a designated fto it actually um has to keep that money like it basically freezes that money yeah um and then reports it to the office of foreign assets control yeah and that's um also stuff you see like when you see money laundering and like accounts and shell companies and stuff like that that's sort of the purpose of those is to be able to throw off a trail mm-hmm. of circulating money through different, like, I mean, and, you know, it's easy to, when you think of terrorist organizations, to think of things, you know, like Al-Qaeda or ISIS, but, I mean, drug cartels and stuff, if they're violent enough or violating enough laws, can easily be, you know, classified in that right. same way. The thing I found the most is, like, it's kind of nebulous to absolutely naming terrorist organizations. That's, that's the idea. That's why, you know, when the whole idea of, like, the war on terror came out, it's like, how terror is an ab, it's an abstract it's right. it's not tangible you can't just eradicate terror and right. you know it's just like the war on drugs it's a fallacy yeah. you know so basically the they designate ftos uh because obviously the fbi doesn't have much authority to enforce laws outside the u.s correct um so like they designate the foreign terrorist wants to be like these are the places you definitely can't send money or support or whatever because they are what we have designated ter- so they don't have to designate terror organizations in the u.s because i mean any organization in the u.s a is subject to our free speech laws yes and b are subject to the laws of the land if they do commit those acts whereas like uh foreign terrorist organizations may be committing terror acts 
you know, in their home country. Yes. We can't prosecute them for that. We can't like, but we can prosecute Americans or people who are in America supporting them. Right. So I think that's why there's not much of an official list of domestic terror organizations is because we don't have to keep one because we can just go through the courts regularly if they commit a crime. Yeah. Or you send the ATF after him. Sure. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're a member <laughs> of a, yeah, but it's whatever. Um, are you, are you, is there a glitch in your matrix? Right now? <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> um, okay. So let's go to groups that may not be actually designated terror groups. Uh, but are could be seen as such, um, and those are hate groups. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, like I kind of mentioned before, has a list of hate groups that they kind of are keeping their eye on. Um, but you can't, you know, be prosecuted just for existing as a group because, again, the laws of the U.S. apply, and you have free speech. Um, Act for America is the country's largest anti-Muslim group. Guess what ACT stands for? It's an acronym. Okay. Um, Americans for counterterrorism? American Congress for Truth. Um, I just threw that in because I know you like acronyms. I do. I don't have any this week, so that does make me happy. Uh, and it's a correct acronym, too, which is even yeah, better. Yeah, I know. Well, they cut out the uh, the for, but most people do in acronyms. They'll cut out the little ofs, fors, ands, whatever. Yeah. Uh, pronouns. No, that's not what those are called. What are those Act little ones the... called? What? The little words of and or uh, contractions. Mm-mm. Conjunctions. That's not true either. That's not and. Yeah, that would be parallelograms. The yeah. Treaty of Versailles. <laughs> uh, Just keep naming things. An Oxford shirt with a starched collar. <laughs> Polio. Galoshes. <laughs> Denmark. Uh, Poland. I, I'll say, uh, I'll say, uh, coffee. Get get out of here, cop specter. You only come in here if someone's breaking the law. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to play. God, cop specter. He he still has the etiquette etiquette of a forty nine er. It's ridiculous. Uh, right. Anyway, you should take a knee. What? Because I said he has the etiquette uh, of a forty nine er. Okay, yep. He's not on that team anymore, though, is he? He's free agent right yeah. now. She's not on. He's it. actually, but you know what? He has donated a shit ton of money uh-huh. and like done a lot of stuff. Uh huh. And he's a good guy. I like this Colin. He's guy. not. You know, I mean, that's the that's the problem is that most of the times it's a great quarterback who's a shitty guy. This guy is actually a pretty good guy. He's just a shitty quarterback. Yep. <laughs> and you know, everyone wants to. You know, they well, well, they, he got got him to the Super Bowl. And, uh, he hasn't since, and he's not a good running gun quarterbacks are done. Tune in next week to me and Jack's football podcast where we're really getting to the down and dirty. However, he's got he's on the right queue and he's probably got enough NFL money that yeah. if he doesn't get drafted again and just becomes a social activist, and then all those other people who are like armchair fucking social justice warriors, like, God, oh, we don't have time for this or whatever. Meanwhile, he's out there doing stuff like Akon providing food and resources to people in Africa. They're there. The good celebrities are there. You just gotta look for them. You do. Speaking of bad people. Um, Act for America is the country's largest anti-Muslim group. I want to just get back into depressing shit. It says that Europe will no longer be Europe by 2050. Europe has already become Eurabia. Europe is Eurabia right now. Oh, God. Uh, so I haven't found any acts that they have committed. 
um, that they're terroristic. But they do have some pretty solid support in the federal government. Hmm. There's like 15 senators and Congress people that really support this group. And also Are there they, was a Peter all, King who was a representative of New York. They're all Democrats from California, aren't yeah, they? Of course. <laughs> uh, in 2010, they gave Peter King, who is a representative from New York, an award. And he accepted it was in it person. truth? <laughs> You know, because he's like, oh, well, yeah, you're right. We got to protect the country. Anyway, Aryan Nations is on the list. Uh, it's a white nationalist neo-Nazi organization founded in the 1970s as an arm of a group known as the Church of Jesus Christ Christian. Of Latter-day Saints. Uh, they've been called a terrorist threat by the FBI, and the Rand Corporation has called it the first truly nationwide terrorist network in the U.S. Um... So also on the list is the Jewish Defense League. Okay. So they actually deny any Palestinian claims to land in Israel and call for the removal of all Arabs from the area. Oh, yeah, like the ongoing fight for between Israel and Palestine for... Yeah, that old thing. For that. Centuries. That whole thing. Centuries. Uh, they have actually carried out domestic terrorist attacks in the U.S. Okay. Which I said domestic. That wasn't in this type out because that would have been redundant to say domestic in the u.s um but also have uh carried out terrorist attacks abroad um they've engaged in intense harassment of foreign diplomats muslim jewish scholars and community leaders and officials uh they've kind of waned in the u.s in recent years and actually have no active chapters in the u.s right now but they do continue to keep up steady membership via its website and blog which of course disseminates news stories that vilify politicians academics and community leaders as anti-semitic uh, KKK. Let's talk about them for a sec. They're on the hate groups list. Um, Why? They, I, they have signs all over the place about cleaning up highways. What What do they do? Um, so them and pretty much any group that's associated with them or that you would think of. Like, there's a lot of, like, splinter groups from the KKK. They're all the same ideas, basically. Yeah. Um, so they... A big thing, too, about these groups is they will group up. They'll do their activism they'll commit some crimes and then they'll dissolve but they'll come they'll basically just come back as a differently named group okay there's a lot of what i found um like yeah there's there's a couple of them well, i mean the problem with hate groups i feel like is probably that there's so much stuff to hate uh-huh. that you, you know it's hard it's hard to align at all and you know if you've got a kkk meeting and that they you know for that month they're all focused on hating jews and blacks but you want to go out and hate some Mexicans, you know, maybe you and Dave go out afterwards and go do that. You know, you got to, mm-hmm. you need to be expansive in your hate. Yeah. Yeah. You got to just get all of it out. Yeah. Let the hate flow through you. Yeah. Uh, so they've actually used domestic terror methods against the government and uh, freed slaves immediately after the Civil War. Um, and then in the lead up to the Civil Rights Movement, they used threats, violence, arson, and even murder to further their agenda. Um, and their agenda is just very anti everybody, pretty yeah. much. Um, so I'm kind of going back. I said this before, but when I was looking at my research, the Southern Poverty Law Center has hate groups. Yes. Um, and then that we talked about the list on Wikipedia that has uh, domestic terrorism right groups. Um, and they're either groups who have committed or had planned to commit terror attacks in the U.S. Um, but pretty much all the groups I listed above were the only ones with crossover between the two lists. Okay. 
Um, so, you know, the KKK, Aryan Brotherhood. Right. Uh, stuff like that. Um, but there are so many more hate groups on the Southern Poverty Law Center's radar. Okay. That haven't, you know, done anything terroristy. Just, but they're just kind of out being shitty. Right. Um, so I'm going to gloss over the ones on the hate groups thing to cover a few more groups that would maybe considered domestic terrorism okay. organizations. Um, so also just as a side note, a lot of these were in the past because the thing is that I kind of noticed too, like, yes, it's a group, maybe it's a hate group, maybe it's a civil rights group, whatever it is. Um, but then they commit felonies right, uh, or terrorist acts. Uh, and, Which puts them in a different league. Right. It puts them in a different league, but then they also kind of disband. So a lot of these are, are not current. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense, you yeah. know. Um, so we've talked a lot about the white Christian male terror organizations. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the Black Liberation Army instead right now. Uh, they are or kind of were... I guess a splinter group that some of the more radical Black Panthers created in order to overthrow the U.S. government, and the name of separation, uh, in the name of separatism and Marxist ideals. That makes sense. Um, so, according to a Justice Department report on their activity, the BLA is suspected of involvement in over seventy incidents of violence between 1970 and 1976. Holy shit! And the Fraternal Order of Police blames the BLA for the murders of thirteen police officers. Wow! Which you know, getting shit done, <laughs> staying busy. Like can't knock the can't knock the fact that they're getting their feet dirty. You know. You know. I mean, that's that's the kind of work ethic that I think uh, manufacturers want to see in today's society. Yeah. Uh, October 22nd, 1970, they are believed to have planted a bomb in St. Brendan's Church in San Francisco while it was full of mourners attending the funeral of San Francisco police officer Harold Hamilton, uh, who had been killed in the line of duty while responding to a bank robbery. No Alexander Hamilton, a little jaunt for you there? What? Usually when, when the word Hamilton is mentioned, you throw out some kind of little line from your all-time favorite musical, Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. Okay. We are waiting in the wings for you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for that that tired hand job of a <laughs> Hamilton song. You're welcome. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the bomb was detonated, but no one in the church suffered serious injuries. Okay. Luckily, um, and again, it hasn't been totally traced back to them, but it's very well believed that they did that. Um, July 31st, 72, five armed individuals hijacked Delta Airlines Flight 841 en route from Detroit to Miami. Holy shit. They collected a ransom of a million dollars and then diverted the plane to Algeria after releasing all the passengers. Did they though. get away? Uh, no, they eventually got caught later. Damn. Like, I think they ended up in France and then they got caught in France. That's a great story, though. Yeah, yeah Algiers is what? That's way southern. Algeria is like way south of France, right? That's almost... Africa, I think, or Al Algeria is in Africa. Isn't yeah, it? it is. I think. Is it? Yeah. I'm not great at geography. Um, I didn't. I did win the spelling bee, if you remember correctly, but I didn't win the geography bee. Fair. All right. I don't remember you winning the spelling bee either. D damn it, Jack! It was the highlight of my. I peaked in seventh grade. It's been. <laughs> it has been downhill since then. Uh, so they disbanded in the early 1980s, mostly because you know a lot of people of their leadership got arrested. Um, but there's still some permutations of it around today. It's just smaller, and they don't, you know, commit crimes. 
You know, seventies were a different time, man. Um, it was all about free love and one hijacking. One of my favorite ones I talked about. Uh, one that I kind of looked up was the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord. Yeah, they have a fucking awesome like metal band name. They <laughs> really do. Like, I want to see that name on the cover of like a like a book in a Christian bookstore, but it's got like lightning behind well, actually, it and like clouds and it's funny because like in the late 70s and then like kind of permeating through the, the 80s and then not so much now but every now and then um and you kind of see it touched upon in the movie american history x is uh like there was a strong undercurrent of white nationalism in like hardcore and metal and punk music and um a lot of those times those scenes would really clash because you're Far left punks were obviously very anarcho, like very anti-government right. against any system of organization, really, but also against systemized hate. And then when you know these shows yeah. would converge, there were like a lot of violent, like some you know pretty bad skirmishes. Um, the Dead Kennedys wrote songs about them called "Not you know like Nazi punks fuck off." There was other bands that did stuff, but I mean it's probably not a far cry for you to find an album with that name on it because there was more than likely. I mean, that was a way for youth outreach for those yeah. groups, you know? Yeah. If you're feeling lost, if, like, you're, you know, misguided and you blame problems for crime around your areas on other ethnicities, and maybe you find, you know, some music that draws you in, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're balls deep in Nazi parties and you just don't know what to do. So, um, anyway, I'm, I'll look, I'll find you one of those albums. I'm making okay. my life quest. Cool. <laughs> so it's called The Covenant, The Sword, and The Arm of the Lord. Okay. They're a far-right political organization dedicated to Christian identity and survivalism. Uh, they were active in the U.S. during the 70s and early 80s. Uh, they developed from a Baptist congregation called the Zarephath Zeref- Horeb Community Church. Uh, founded in 1971 in the small community of Elijah in in you want to guess what southern part of what state oh what was it it's called it's a small community called elijah in the southern portion of arkansas nope good old missouri good old missouri oh by the way it took two seconds of googling perfect music by cabaret voltaire november 1985 new wave and synth pop not what i would have guessed no not either the covenant the sword and the arm of the lord Perfect. Their previous album was Drinking Gasoline, and their follow-up was Code. Cool. There you go. Um, so over time, the Zarephath Horeb evolved into an extremist paramilitary organization, and then recruiting themselves CSA, which was, you know, Covenant Sword, Arm of the Lord, um, which the Federal Bureau of Investigation identified in 1985 as the second most dangerous domestic terrorist organization at the time. Wow. Um one of its members, Richard Wayne Snell, was responsible for the murder of a pawn shop owner and a Missouri State trooper. Uh, but they kind of collapsed following an FBI and ATF siege in 1985. Um, Earth Liberation Front. Okay. Let's talk about them damn hippies. I have heard of that name before. So it's ALF. That's the acronym. That's a, that's a fucking great acronym. Right? Oh. I wanted, I was like, if nothing else, I'm going to hit some good acronyms this week. Can I, I I'm, I'm really sorry to do this to you because I know it, it's, it's going to totally derail you, but I have to read this real quick. Just, oh, God. Just, just because I... Stay on goddamn topic, Jason. Just, well, this is on We're, topic because I said it's New Wave and Synth Pop, which sounds weird. Listen to this. Cabaret Voltaire struggled with several censorship issues with some bizarre virgin records upon the release of this album. 
The original title, The Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord, was forced to be shortened in America to avoid reference to the U.S. white supremacist organization. Musically, the album featured a more abrasive, sample-heavy sound and contained many sexual innuendos in the lyrics, which Virgin Records took objection to. Several speeches by Charles Manson were also mixed in between the songs. The single was obviously was admitted later on to be clearly about masturbation. Cool. So uh, they weren't a white supremacist organization, but they had some weird proclivities, I guess, if you're mixing in like Manson songs right. heavily throughout. But anyway. It's just... I don't know. It's a weird version of anarchy or whatever. It'd be like, well, that didn't sound enjoyable to listen to at all. Right. Uh, it's just people being like, I'm going to be edgy. I'm going to put Manson. That is edgy. Um, so, ELF is the collective name for an autonomous in, uh, group of an autonomous individuals or covert cells who, according to the ELF press office, use economic <laughs> sabotage and guerrilla warfare to stop the exploitation and destruction of the environment. So You've reached the terrorist group Elf. What's your favorite color? <laughs> uh, the Elf was classified as the top domestic terror threat in the United States by the FBI in March of 2001. Its members were called eco-terrorists. This is a big thing. I don't remember if you remember that. I do vaguely, but it's just like, I wonder how many newscasters hard, had a hard time keeping a straight face reporting this stuff like. Um, most newscasters aren't us sure. and laughing at great acronyms. Um, so in 96, they burned down the Oak Ridge Ranger Station and burned a ski resort in Vail, Colorado. Damn. Uh, they were also Wouldn't that s- contribute to carbon emissions? Here's the thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, they also known to sabotage power lines, burn cars. Like they've burned, they burn a bunch of SUVs. Um, I also see tires shouldn't burn. That's bad for the environment right. too. They burn logging headquarters. Uh, basically, they're most to burn shit. So it's an angry elf. They <laughs> God damn it! I think that's fair to say. <laughs> um. So. On the plus side, as of when I was investigating this last night from the stuff Polly Lawsoner, um, the there were no, there have been no deaths from elf attacks. Keep it together, bro. <laughs> You're a professional. <laughs> uh, but the FBI kind of did uh, say that I think we're lucky. Once you set one of these fires, they can get way out of control. Um. So I'm. Basically, I didn't want to just list everything I read on this web Wikipedia right. article. And so I'm going to kind of go over some attacks that um, maybe weren't actually listed as terrorist attacks. Okay. Um, that maybe should have been. We'll see. Okay. Uh, so first up, we'll talk about Dylan Roof. Yes. Um, so as a refresher for anyone who, I don't know, was asleep for the past three years, he, you know, went into a church that was predominantly black he openly like he wrote manifestos online about how much he hated black people he was part of an anti-black group yeah and he had like the patch of yeah. like of um, um like a african war group or war country or something, something. like that i, forget what I it don't was. know um he ended up so he shot and killed nine of them yes where he shot several of them and killed nine um he was charged with 33 criminal acts um, and then, yeah, as recently, he was given the death sentence. Yes. Um, however, none of the things he was charged for was terrorism. 
Um, now, within the, the scope of... And then the FBI never classified his act as an act of terror. Within the scope of terrorism as defined by the Patriot Act, do you feel like it was a terrorist act? Um, if I believe... Honestly, I don't know. Okay. Because you seem perturbed about it, but I'm not sure. I like I, th- I think it does intimidate or coerce a civilian population. Okay, like it's it's an act that was dangerous to human life. I mean, it killed nine people. Sure, it was a violation of criminal laws. So I mean, obviously, because he was charged with 33 other crimes, um, and it appeared to intend to intimidate black people to be scared. I mean, oh. I, I think if anything would, I mean, outside of ob- the obvious violence would implicate him, the fact that a manifesto and like premeditation into it, that right. existence of that. However, I mean, without having read the manifesto myself, I couldn't yeah. say one way or another. I mean, but, you know, if you broaden it to involve that scope um, and it fits in those neat, you know, those parameters. And I mean, uh, so are you saying that he wasn't charged with it or he wasn't convicted of it? Like in all. In no, he wasn't of, like, charged with terrorism. Okay. Interesting. Um, so kind of, people know ask these questions around the time. Yeah, yeah. And um Attorney General Loretta Lynch um actually did note when announcing the charges against Roof that there is no singular crime of domestic terrorism encompassing acts of politically motivated violence. Instead, federal law specifies a wide array of crimes as terrorism related offenses regardless of intent including hijacking airplanes, assassinating government officials, detonating certain kinds of explosives or chemical weapons, or bombing a government facility. Um, they, she kind of said more common offenses like shootings or kidnappings don't necessarily fit into these schemes because including them would open the door to possibly trying all criminal activity as terrorist activity. You know, I mean, honestly, that makes so sense. There's that's no, kind of what I was wondering. That's the thing. Like, I, don't, I think he wasn't tried you know, as a terrorist, because there's no crime on the books of domestic terror. Yeah. Um, Which seems seems to make but sense. But kind of going back, so those shootings, no one ever really condemned them. No one with the authority to condemned them as terror, condemned it as a terror attack. However, um, the Orlando nightclub shooting um, was called, and I quote, an act of terror and an act of hate by President Obama. Um, so why did I like that act got the president to call it an act of terror? No one called what no one that I found or no one that could classify it as such classified what Dylan Roof did as an act of terror. I mean, it may be callous to even say, but it's like, like I get that he couldn't be tried on domestic because there's no. There's that's that guy you, goes you, back to, you want the label like you want it to be labeled as an, a terrorist act. It, I mean, at least in some sense of maybe the FBI calls him out on it, like saying, "Yeah, that was a terror attack." Like this, that's what that looks like. That's what terrorism, domestic terrorism, looks like. Um, I mean, to me, it just seems you know I don't know if they quantify it by the amount of lives lost or something like that, or maybe the fact that it was so single handedly focused on one race makes it more of like a you know racially politically motivated thing whereas if it had right. been like a full congregation well and, you know I mean, okay you know what i'm saying like but it's i don't know you know well, i don't know it's it's interesting i guess is all i'm trying to say like it's just an interesting thing to be like well 
If, well, uh, I think the, what does it take to get someone in power to say, "Oh yeah, that was terrorism." Yeah. Like, like yes, I get that he couldn't be charged for domestic terrorism because that's not a charge. Because yeah, we've got like Loretta Lynch said, we got laws that already cover those kind of acts. Right. Like, we don't need a separate, you know, like crime that of domestic terrorism. Um, I get that. Yeah. And also that it is very different too. Like, I don't, I don't think that, you know, if had the Orlando shooter lived, he would have been tried as a domestic terrorist or even like whatever. Like, I, I feel like you're wrong only because he was of Middle Eastern descent. Well, again, you can't be tried as a domestic terrorist because right. there's not. A I'm law saying it would that... have been called rampantly a terror attack. You know? Yeah, but he's an American citizen. Yeah, but still, I mean, just think of like you know, it's all media portrayal when it gets to that. Fair. I mean, if you don't think Fox News would have been the quickest ones to call it, you know, an act of terror before. I mean, uh, they, I they, loved how their heads spun because like fuck. They declared a war people on people that are dead. They declared a war on Christmas when Obama sent out a card that said Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Yeah. So they'll they'll jump on anything. Well, I, I love them. Their heads like, wait, how do we spin this? It's there must people. be some way this can personally we victimize hate, me. We hate gay people. They're all dead. So that's bad. <laughs> we can't be on their side. Ah, uh, the shooter. So Middle Eastern descent. I don't like that. This is a lose lose for everybody. <laughs> let's focus on something else. Yeah. I can't even deal with this right now. So, yeah, Jason, let's focus on something else. What do you have? Okay, well, um, so I'm going to run down um, a list, basically, of, like, the most well-known domestic terror attacks, and then we're going to take a side quest that detours into Conspiracy Hatland. Oh, man, you're taking on us an adventure. Taking us on an adventure. I am pumped. So, uh... We're going to start. Uh, the first one that I found happened in 1857 on what date? It's, I mean, it's, it's one that's like, it's, it's almost coincidentally ironic. Uh, f- February 14th. September 11th. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it was, it's dubbed the Mountain Meadows Massacre, which also sounds like a metal band name. And it was a series of attacks on the Baker Fancher Immigrant Wagon Train in southern Utah, and the attacks began on September 7th and culminated on September 11th, resulting in the mass slaughter of the immigrant party by members of the Utah Territorial Militia from the Iron County District, a Mormon group, together with some Paiute Native Americans. So it's kind of interesting because it's like a territorial militia in Utah teamed up with Native Americans and they were like, well, hey, you know how we came here and we took all your land and fucked up everything? Well, there's some other people coming from a different country and they're trying to do the same shit. So what do you say we take them out? Um, and so the perpetrators killed all the uh, adults and children intending to leave no witnesses and therefore not get any kind of reprimand or right. comeuppance. About 120 men, women, and children were, cold, were uh, killed in total. Um, and 17 children that were all younger than seven were spared. So that was the like the first um, kind of like well-known domestic terrorism uh, incident. Following that, we have the Los Angeles Times bombing, and it was the uh, I love this term, the purposeful dynamiting 
of the Los Angeles Times building. Uh, are there accidental dynamitings? I would assume maybe in like well, mines. Well, I tell you, when I was working down there in the mines. <laughs> tell me all about it, Cop Spectre. <laughs> that went off all the time. Oh, no, that sounds well, terrible. You, you, yeah, we use it to clean out the, the mines well, there. Is to there go any kind of training deeper. or something like that? Uh, uh, training? <laughs> What do you? Uh, the, mo- the only kind of training we have is the little mine trains. Oh, that's a good old pun, Cop Spectre. Thank you. Thanks. I'm gonna go back and drink my moonshine. All right. See you later, Cop Spectre. You shouldn't be drunk while you're being a cop, Cop Spectre. You, you behave yourself. Pull together. Um, glug glug glug. So, uh, it was the uh, purposeful dynamiting of the Los Angeles Times building in L.A. on October 1st, 1910, by a union member from the uh, International Association of Bridge and Iron Workers, started a fire that killed 21 newspaper employees. Imagine that, a fire starting easily at a newspaper place. And injured... <laughs> uh, all that kindling, who would have thought? And injured 100 more. I didn't really delve into why that happened, but if I had to guess, um, union member, uh, bridge and structural iron workers, I mean, probably some kind of union row uh, or something along, along those lines. Um, the Wall Street bombing was a terrorist incident that occurred on September 16th. Uh, September is a bad, like the fall in general, just kind of a bad well, month. Well, it's, you know? it's that seasonal depression. Yeah, you know, the days start getting shorter and it's it's chilly. Anyway, um, it was a terrorist incident that occurred on September 16th, 1920 in the Financial District of New York City. A horse-drawn wagon filled with 100 pounds of dynamite was stationed across. Well, that's way too much dynamite to be on a horse. Um, was stationed across the street from the headquarters of the J.P. Morgan Bank, and it killed 38 and it injured 400. Uh, no one was ever found guilty, but it was believed that it was carried out by followers followers of Luigi Galliani. I'm I would just have to assume some kind of mafiosa. I don't know. I'm sure. Not, I mean, is that stereotyping because he's super Italian? I don't know. If he's a if followers of Luigi Galliani, that sounds like I don't know. Why don't you Google that for me? You're not going to Google it for me. I'm not. Um, okay. I'm really just trying to come up with a Luigi like and Mario joke, but I'm kind of done. I, I, I don't want to push it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, if you come up with something good, just, you know, do you know. like I do and interrupt with reckless yeah, abandon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Two minutes past the point where I, that would have been funny. I'm gonna, I'll bring shit up three episodes later. <laughs> you just watch me. Um, so the burning of Black Wall Street, um, this was um, – in late May and early June of 1921, a white mob started the Tulsa race riot, attacking residents and businesses of the African-American community of Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in what is considered one of the worst incidences of racial violence in the United States history. The attack, which was carried out on the ground and by air, destroyed more than 35 mm-hmm. blocks of the district, $30 million in 2017 dollars in damages, and left 10,000 people homeless and up to 300 dead in a town considered the wealthiest black community in the nation. Yep. Which is nuts. I had never heard of that before. I mean, I've heard of it a couple of times. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. The things, again, like I said, I think like, white people yeah, are just I feel done. like that's, that's something you could easily say to someone that, you know, when you see an online argument and they're like, well, you know, white people, we're not holding, we've never done anything to hold black people down. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like, well, hey, that's a pretty broad generalization to make for all white people who have a pretty long history of being shitty. And then also like, you're wrong, and right. here's all the reasons right. why. It's just like, no, like hey, me, it's they, your friend. It, first of all, you made them all go to Oklahoma, 
And they're like, okay, cool. We'll be successful here. And then you got mad that they're successful. Well, they already put all them. the Native Americans farther out west. There's, you know, there's only so many places you can go. Um, next, we've got Ted Kaczynski. Ooh, he's fun. Yeah. Um, from 1978 to 1995, Ted Kaczynski, a Harvard University graduate and former mathematics professor uh, who's known by the codename UNABOM, Unabom, uh, carried out a campaign of sending letter bombs to academics and various individuals particularly associated with modern technology. Uh, in 1996, his manifesto was published in the New York Times and the Washington Post under the threat of more attacks. The bomb campaign ended with his capture. I don't know a ton about that, but I would love to learn more about it. That sounds pretty pretty insane. Um, okay, uh, attacks by the Jewish Defense League. You covered this. Um, but, uh, the, I mean, it's 1980 1985, 18 terrorist attacks in the U.S. committed by them, uh, 15 of those by members of... Uh, oh, 15... No, 18 terrorist attacks in the U.S. committed by Jews, 15 of those by members of the Jewish Defense League. Um, so, yeah, they uh, they sound like a pretty intense group from what you said earlier. Um, I don't know if they're still active or not, um, but it's they were published about as recently as 2001. Yeah. Um, Centennial Olympic Park bombing. Uh, this was a bombing in July of 1996 in Atlanta um, during the 1996 Summer Olympics by Eric Robert Rudolph. Uh, he was a former yes, I know. explosive about expert. Uh, two people died and 111 were injured. Yeah. Did you already cover all that? I mean, if you were paying attention, you would know I said his name and that it was the Olympics. Did you say how many people were No, I didn't say that part. Do you want to you mesh those parts together in the yeah. post? You're not going to mesh them together. No, I'm not. I'm you're doing just, the minimal you're amount of editing on this thing. you going to make me sound like a jackass. I mean, it's real easy. I just have to let you keep talking. God damn it. Um, and then uh, the Wisconsin Sheik Temple shooting. Is it S-I-K-H? Is that Sikh? Sheik? Sheik. Sheik, okay. Um, Wade Michael Page fatally shot six people and wounded four others in a mass shooting at a Sheik Temple in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Page was an American white supremacist and a United States Army veteran from Kadahi, Wisconsin. All of the dead members are of the Sheik faith. So um, it's uh, not an unheard of thing throughout history for a white person to bust into a religious establishment and open fire. Yeah. Interesting. So um, now we're going to get into the meat of my research. And uh, we're going to start it with uh, a little bit of a side quest. Side quest. Um, so the, the three I'm about to cover are probably like the three, I mean, outside of, you know, like the Olympic bombing and stuff like this, these are three of the most widely known and kind of expansive um, domestic terror incidents. Right. So the first one we're going to cover is Ruby Ridge. And Ruby Ridge was an 11-day siege in Naples, Idaho, beginning on August 21st, 1992, between Randy Weaver, members of his immediate family and a family friend, and an agent, uh, U.S. Marshals and a hostage rescue team from the FBI. So pretty heavy shit for like just a small family. So basically, to kind of break it down, uh, Randy and his family, uh, Randy was a, a former factory worker and an army combat engineer, and him and his wife had started to like view the United States and the government as just getting like more and more corrupt, and they wanted to kind of get away from it all. Imagine um, that. <laughs> so they moved to uh, this remote area in Idaho called... Uh, you mean just Idaho? Uh, yeah. Um, a remote area in Idaho. Um, all of it? Called uh, Ruby Ridge. So... Um, 
and and this area was kind of infamous and not necessarily infamous but it was a place that off the grid people went a lot like uh, a lot of the back to the landers from the 60s and 70s that you know headed west and just kind of were like we're getting away from it all and that's you know started like the communes and stuff like that that's where they would go and it was a good spot for people to be off the grid the local community was very engaged but they also weren't snitches you know like it right. was kind of like we're all here because we don't want to be fucked with by you know the government and other people totally understandable kind of a cool idea so um they bought 20 acres of land in ruby ridge in 1983 for five thousand dollars and built a cabin uh it's kind of like a plywood setup they got it from scraps from a lumber yard and it was uh randy and his wife vicky and then they had a son named sammy a daughter named rachel and then they had a youngest – their youngest daughter was named something is really biblical and weird, uh, like Ethelsbia, something like that. I'll get to it. Okay. But anyway, um, so basically what happened was uh, Weaver got into a land dispute with money um, with a neighbor named Terry Kennison. Uh, Kennison lost the ensuing lawsuit and was ordered to pay Weaver an additional $2,100 in court costs and damages. After this, Kinnison started writing letters to the FBI, Secret Service, and the county sheriff alleging that Weaver had threatened to kill the Pope, kill the president, and kill John V. Evans, the governor of Idaho. So in January of 1985, the FBI and the Secret Service started an investigation. That's because this fucking dude was so salty about losing his court case that he started writing letters indicting this. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this guy was kind of like a right... Weaver was more like... Okay, Randy Quaid played randy weaver in the movie they made about this that gives you any idea of what this dude is like so he but i mean from he wasn't hurt anyone he won his court case right you know so anyway a lot of off you know off the grid people would love to talk about killing the president a lot of on the grid people do too um so uh basically he they the fbi started to um you know investigate and the Secret Service soon found that Weaver was a member of the Aryan Nation and that had a, he had a large cache of weapons at his residence. Um, Weaver denied the allegations. No charges were filed. So um, the ATF kind of started paying attention to Weaver in 1986 when he was introduced to an ATF informant at a meeting of the Aryan Nations. Um, he had been invited by a friend named Frank, uh, Frank Kumnick, who was the original target of the ATF investigation. So... Basically, they were already surveying this Aryan Brotherhood. They had an inside guy in there, but Weaver all of a sudden became a bigger person of interest because of these letters written right. by his twat of a neighbor. So um, so anyway, uh, they started kind of following him. Um, in 1989, the ATF was able to claim that Weaver sold their informant two sawed-off shotguns. Um, and so basically... There's legal requirements of how long a shotgun barrel can be before it's an illegal weapon. Okay. Because as you shorten it, it has a, like a closer. I mean, the range doesn't get any longer, but the spread is a lot more dangerous right. and violent. And shotguns typically used for home defense and hunting. Um, and if you, I mean, at a distance, they spread out when they explode and shoot BBs. And if you're sawing it off at a closer range, they're basically just gangland violent weapons. You know, they're meant for killing people more or less. Um, so he claimed that, no, I sold him regular shotguns. He sawed them off himself. But um, eventually they, they were able to get a warrant for it. Not a warrant for it, but they, they filed charges, and he was due to make an appearance. So this is where shit gets kind of weird. They basically they gave him uh, the ATF. You're going to have to cut all that backtracking. 
ATF agents posed as broken down motorists and arrested Randy Weaver when he and his wife stopped to assist. Uh, he was told of the charges against him, which was um, after a federal grand jury indicted him in 1990 for making and possessing, but not for selling illegal weapons. So basically they said that he made the shotgun and he possessed it, but he didn't sell it. It's like, it was weird. They That is weird. So, because basically the grand jury indicted him uh, based on the informant's testimony. So it was kind of like hit or miss. So anyway, ATF agents posed as broken down motorists. Uh, they arrested Randy Weaver when they told the charges on him. Uh, he was released on bail, and he was told that his trial would begin on February 19th. Now, this is where this gets really interesting, because it's all about gross oversight with boring-ass paperwork. So, um, he was told that his trial would be going, begin on February 19th. I've just, I love that this is the interesting part for no, you. No, seriously, it is. So, because it, like, it shows just how quickly shit can get out of hand. So, on January 22nd, the judge in the case notified the attorney, Evan, Everett Hoffmeister, that he would be serving as Weaver's attorney. So basically his court-appointed attorney. Um, Hoffmeister made several unsuccessful attempts to contact Weaver, which is kind of the point of being off the grid. Right. So um, on that same day, Weaver called the uh, his probation officer, Carl Rikens, and informed him that he was instructed to contact him. Um, Rock, he didn't have a case file. Weaver didn't give him a telephone number. Uh, the defense counsel basically just kept asking his attorney, like, send him letters, try to get hold of him. Um, and uh, so on January 31st, uh, they were able to finally contact him and get to work on his defense within the federal court system. On February 5th, the trial date was changed from February 19th to February 20th to give people time to try to travel during the state holiday. Um, I guess, was that Martin Luther King Day, February 20th? Mm, no. President's Day? I think so. Okay. So anyway. Yeah, because Martin Luther King is in uh, January. January. Okay, yeah. So so the court clerk sent a letter to the parties informing them of the date change from the 19th to the 20th, but the notice was not sent directly to Weaver, only to his attorney. On February 7th, the probation officer sent Weaver a letter indicating that he now had the case file and needed to talk with him. The letter erroneously indicated that Weaver's trial date was set for March 20th and not February 20th. Uh, on February 8th, he again tried to contact him. Um, let him know what was going on. And then on February 20th, he contacted him and said, you know, we got to talk immediately. Um, he told, then his attorney told the judge, like, he never heard from Weaver. Like, there was no contact whatsoever. So basically, like, Weaver has a chance here to kind of, like, go to court and defend himself. But he's, like, making no effort whatsoever to contact. Either through letter, through phone, it doesn't matter. Which, again, the whole point of being off the grid. He's like, fuck your court system. I'm not going. I don't care. So, um... Basically, February 20th came and passed, and they wanted to issue a bench warrant for him. And then his attorney and his probation officer were like, look, we messed up. We sent him the wrong date, uh, and he's actually he might actually think it's on March 30th. And the judge was like, I don't give a shit, and he issued a bench warrant anyway. So he got a bench warrant issued for missing court on February 20th. And this is kind of important, but full circle at the end. So um, after this all occurs, they— uh, they're kind of like following him um and they start they basically wanted to issue and execute the warrant because they're already concerned about him from the weapons cache and everything else and they did like a stakeout around ruby ridge more or less so like they posted up they were surveilling the area just kind of getting a feel for things how they best be able to serve the warrant um also being wary of the fact that he had a huge cache of weapons around so they um basically a whole bunch of nonsense happened that is unimportant to the meat of the story. More or less, uh, one day after routine um, 
surveillance, these U.S. Marshals were headed back to their camp, and they kind of wanted to see how involved the dogs around the um, the home were because they needed to anticipate that when they went to serve the warrant. So they threw a rock just to see, you know, not at the dogs, but around them. And one of the dogs followed them a good ways with Sammy, the 14-year-old son, and the family friend Kevin Harris going out with the dog to see what was going on, thinking it might be like some animal or something because they grew and hunted their food. So whenever food was around, they went to get it. So basically, um, they, uh, they followed him out there. Nothing really happened. And then like 20 minutes later, Weaver went out looking for the same thing to see what was causing the dogs to freak out so much. And he actually encountered the U.S. Marshals. And they said, stop, you know, U.S. Marshal. And he retreated. He took back off. And like 10 minutes later, Kevin and Sammy came out to the Marshals and a firefight ensued where the dog got shot, the 14-year-old son, Sammy, was shot and killed, and then one of the U.S. Marshals was shot before they retreated. So this was, I think it said something like 79 rounds were fired in this brief exchange um, with, because uh, there were machine guns and automatic weapons around as well. So um, Sammy was, his body was retrieved by Vicky and Randy, taken back to their, um, their guest cabin, and U.S. Marshals started calling him backup. So this turned into an 11-day siege, and um, some special rules of engagement were approved by the FBI for use on Ruby Ridge, and uh, these were the Ruby Ridge rules of engagement, and they were like a far cry. It was basically condemned as like a, a freedom to shoot and kill. Number one was, if any adult in the area around the cabin is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement has been made, deadly force could and should be used to neutralize the individual. Two, if any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement, deadly force can and should be employed if the shot could be taken without endangering any children. Three, if compromised by any dog, the dog can be taken out. These motherfuckers. Four, any subjects other than Randy Weaver, Vicky Weaver, and Kevin Harris presenting threat or, de- or de- threat of death or grievous bodily harm, FBI rules of deadly force apply. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or grievous bodily injury to oneself of that or another. Now keep in mind... These rules of engagement were appri- approved for a supposed weapons cache of a family of four living in a cabin in Idaho. And you have now the, H- the uh, ATF and FBI hostage rescue teams, which are like arguably some of the best trained snipers in the world out there. So um, after this, uh, it basically devolved very quickly. Um, some shots were fired while Randy was going to check on his body's son. And as they went to retreat... Um, a sniper bullet was fired through the door without a clear shot of what was happening, and it killed Vicky Weaver. So at this point, Sammy is dead, Vicky is dead, and then Rachel, the baby, and Randy are still alive. So this turns into a huge siege with people um, being called in, and I thought this was interesting. So uh, the FBI, um, it said... Uh, both FBI HQ and the site commanders in Idaho reevaluated the situation based on information they were receiving from U.S. Marshals on um, what happened on August 21st. On about August 24th, the fourth day of the siege on the Weaver family, FBI Deputy Assistant Director Danny Colson, who was unaware that Vicki Weaver had been killed, wrote a memo with the following content where the slashes indicate line breaks. Something to consider. One, charge against Weaver is bullshit. Two, no one saw Weaver do any shooting. Three, Vicky has no charges against her. Four, Weaver's defense. He ran down the hill to see what dog was barking at. Some guys in camo shoot his dog. Started shooting at him. Killed his son. Harris shot Deegan. Weaver's in a really strong legal position. So that was the deputy director, uh, deputy assistant director of the FBI being like, 
we, we fucked up. Like, this something has to be done here. So um, that was pretty much the end of the siege. After, like, the 11th day, the um, Randy and his children, the surviving ones, were brought out, ar- um, arrested, put to trial. This is, the, this is the part that I told you gets called back. Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris would be charged with a variety of offenses and jailed until brought to trial. At the trial, Weaver's defense attorney rested his case without calling any witnesses for the defense, instead seeking to convince the jury through cross-examination aimed at discrediting government evidence and witnesses. Weaver was ultimately acquitted of all charges except missing his original court date, for which he was sentenced to 18 months and fined $10,000. All of that, like everything got dropped, and his wife and son were killed, and he got a $10,000 fine and had to serve extra time because he missed his Oopsie. court date because of a cler- because of a clerical error and a judge being kind of a dick. Granted, he had multiple opportunities to like respond and stuff like that, but you know nothing really happened. And I mean, so he's out today. I mean, he's Randy Weaver is still alive. Um, there's like I watched a documentary today with him with like where they did interviews on him, and it's it's nuts. Um, Kevin Harris. Question. Yes. Not to be a dick. How does this tie into terrorism? Uh, it was um, listed as they were listed as terror. Like that's why the ATF uh, and okay. uh, FBI got involved because it was considered to be a large weapons cache in tie with the Aryan Nation. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, but it's it's a it's a. But huge... again, I don't know. Whatever. That's weird. I guess I didn't do my research well because I was like, well, the like the Aryan Nation, like they're. I guess there's. I don't know. I mean, having illegal weapons and and I, using and selling them and stuff are, could be considered terrorist actions if being used to fund a hate group with violent tendencies. I would think. Maybe. I mean, yeah. it's anything enough to because the Aryan Nation was one of those that was kind of had that crossover. Yeah, and Kevin Harris was also later indicted for the first degree murder of the U.S. Marshal that he killed or that he shot, but it was dismissed, dismissed on the grounds of double jeopardy because he had been acquitted in the federal criminal trial on the same charges in 1993. So. Nothing happened, really. I mean, except that they got to put Randy Weaver in jail for 18, 18 months. months and also... Uh, uh, what happened to his neighbor? I don't know. He's probably out being a dick somewhere still, writing letters to people. Um, I wonder if during all this, he's like, oh, I could have let this go. Like... <laughs> Um, yeah, right? Like, boy, this could have been nothing. Um, and I mean, also, like, all this Waco and Oklahoma City, like, there's all really interesting documentaries regarding them. I mean, you know, because there's a lot of stuff there. So um, I'm going to segue that into the Waco siege because it basically happened right afterwards. And uh, in the Oklahoma City bombing, Timothy McVeigh cited the ATF and FBI's handling of Ruby Ridge and Waco as the main reason for his terrorist action. I just wanted to tie that in. So uh, the Waco siege was a siege of the compound belonging to the Branch Davidians by uh, American federal and Texas state law enforcement and U.S. military between February 28th and April 19th in 1993. The Branch Davidians were a sect of Seventh-day Adventists that had broken off. Um, right. They were more apocalyptic in nature. Uh, they basically all converged eventually at Mount Carmel, um, which the correct way to pronounce caramel is caramel, but it's spelled C-A-R-M-E-L in this. So it's not like the food caramel. It's just Mount okay. Carmel. Just so we're, we're all clear. Cool. Excellent. Do you say caramel or caramel? I said caramel. All right, cool. Good man. So um, so basically, uh, you know, Waco was, um, there was concern that there was a large, uh, again, large weapons cache that was being, um, being uh, stored and manufactured in this huge compound where mm-hmm. the Branch Davidians were operating. However, the Branch Davidians, um, they 
sold they helped finance their operation by selling guns at gun shows they always had legal paperwork with them showing that they could do that and they ran a gun store called the mag bag so a lot of the shipments that came in and out that were being like you know quote unquote suspicious at the time or so they thought could have easily been stuff for this so um i mean you know we we all basically kind of know where it goes from there it turned into a, an insanely long siege that ran from february 28th to april 19th um and it ended with the Branch Davidians complex burning to the ground, right. more or less. So some of the conspiracies that you know interlie that the main one is who um, who set the fire that started it that started you know the Branch Davidians coming uh, it all being burned down. There's a lot of debate about that. Um, the one of the arguments is that the Branch Davidians started it themselves uh, wiretapping within the compound. You can hear them saying things like, "Well, we might need more of that like fuel." or oil, um, them dumping it around. There's things like that. However, the ATF and FBI also sprayed in uh, tear gas very heavily throughout the compound, which, um, when it dries, becomes a flammable material. And they mm-hmm. did toss in flashbangs, as well as you know eventually drive a fucking tank through a wall. So any of those things could have started it. Um, one thing I learned researching this and watching the documentary and listening to the Senate hearings, Chuck Schumer was a dick and he's like it's and i mean it was like he was the most condescending dude i'd ever listened to not entertaining anything that was like being talked about and i mean the fact alone that an investigation had to exist showed that there were issues um they said that one of the main reasons they went into after the branch davidians besides possible terrorist activity and, and making and manufacturing weapons was also um <clears throat> that there were claims that leader david koresh was practicing polygamy as well as sexually assaulting children um, and that was a, a grave concern. However, one would wonder why you would need to call in the ATF for something like that. You know? Right. So here's here's basically what I, um, I you know it was it was here's the chronology of basically what happened. February twenty eighth, the first day, and April nineteenth, the last day. Um, February twenty eighth, uh, seventy six agents assembled at Fort Hood for the drive to the staging area at the Civic Center. Um, the a- a- agents drove in an eighty vehicle convoy that stretched for a mile. Um, at 9.45, the ATF agents move in on the compound and a gun battle begins. Uh, at 9.48, Wayne Martin, a Waco attorney, calls 9-11, or 9-1-1. Uh, ceasefire was reached at 11.30. Um, at, uh, by, two, um, by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, four children had been uh, exited and you know gone out. And um, from that point on, it basically became this long-standing battle. Uh, Koresh was actually injured the first day um, treated the wound himself. Uh, the uh, FBI and ATF did employ other tactics, things like um, noise, uh, where they would just play loud music throughout the night, <laughs> shine bright yeah. lights on them, stuff like that. Um, so here's some of the, the weird clerical things that happened in it. Uh, the wrong U.S. United States code was cited in the warrant, which made it seem like a bit of a rush job. Um, there was uh, there were news outlets 30 minutes before the raid. Now, um, <clears throat> this, is, this is kind of important. Robert Rodriguez was a ATF agent that had infiltrated the group and was in there. And uh, David Koresh, the leader, had made him as an informant at this point, like was aware of right. it, but didn't say anything about it until he knew that the, the siege was coming because there were already news crews outside. And Robert Rodriguez called the ATF and said, we don't have the element of surprise. Like, we, we need to call this off. They did it anyway. Makes you wonder why. No one would like, I mean, there's no concrete thing to say involving this. 
But the ATF had an appropriations hearing for Congress, an appropriations hearing for Congress the following week, a week from the Waco raid. They had really, really fucked up Ruby Ridge. They were trying to get more money. I mean, they wanted a bigger budget for their operations. And the best way to do that, have a really successful siege a week before, show that you're needed. The ATF was actually the one that contacted news groups, Channel 5 and 8 in Dallas, to come out and cover the event. It was basically a publicity stunt for them. They figured, you know, a group of, you know, Branch Davidians, a kind of, you know, supposedly a peaceful religious group, we'll go in there. It's going to be great. You know, we'll just, they'll all come out peacefully, no gunfire, nothing like that whatsoever. Um, I mean, we're, we're kind of pressed for time, but like seriously, it it's one of the more interesting things I've read about. There's lots of books and documentaries about it. A lot of stuff, you know, that kind of plays into it. But um, I, I brought it in basically because, um, like I said, they, Oklahoma City bombing, Timothy McVeigh, which was before 9-11 considered the, it was, it was the largest life of, largest loss, loss of, of life. U.S. life yeah. um, uh, up to that point. Um, which I believe, what was it? Uh, there were, uh, it, it killed 168 people, including 19 children under the age of six, and left over 600 injured. Um, prior to the September 11th attacks, it was the largest loss of life. So uh, Timothy McVeigh had cited that Waco was his primary motivation, and the attacks were carried out on April 19th, 1995, which was the oh, wow. two-year anniversary of Waco, like the actual siege of it. So um, those all kind of tied together. Um, him and, and Terry, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols uh, were both in custody for their roles in the bombing. Um, they had met together when they were in the military. They were both sympathizers of an anti-government militia movement. During the Ruby Ridge Trials Act, or the uh, Waco Trials, actually, there's photographs of Timothy McVeigh outside the courthouse selling uh, anti-government t-shirts. Um, That's interesting. Isn't that crazy? So, um, I mean, so, I mean, so basically, for someone who's was he anti-capitalist? I don't know if he's necessarily anti capitalist I think what he was upset about... Because uh, it doesn't seem like it. He was selling T-shirts. He was really capitalizing. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's funny. Like, you'll notice that a lot of these domestic terrorists that we've talked about are ex-military. I mean, they're U.S. Army veterans. They're, you know, or they're coming from a background in the military, which is kind of interesting to think about. I mean, you know, it is the motivation, the way they've been treated as soldiers. I mean, is it completely alternative? I mean, like... But it's it seems like kind of an interesting thread that runs through yeah. it. I mean, so there's not. I mean, the Oklahoma City bombing. McVeigh and uh, Nichols were convicted pretty quickly. quickly. Uh, McVeigh got the death penalty and was put to death. Um, a weird thing. I, I don't. This doesn't really. It's not like a conspiracy theory or anything. But uh, his body was cremated before an autopsy performed, which is not uh, federal regulations. Right. Um, Post mortem. Uh, Nichols, I believe, got life in prison. My guess is that was death. probably just like clerical errors yeah and like, like let's oh, just fuck we forgot to do that um but uh so there was an investigation afterwards um in it's uh there i mean there's a couple conspiracy theories around it like tin foil conspiracy hat atf knew about it ahead of time that there were um <laughs> that the atf knew about it ahead of time that um actually the atf was housed in the, that building which is why um, the attack was planned there, but none of the ATF members were present that day. Um, and also, the uh, the last thing I wanted to throw out, just as it's kind of an interesting thing, was um, uh, there was this police officer named Terry Yeeke, and he was an Oklahoma City Police Department officer. He was among the first to reach the scene, and uh, and he was heralded as a hero for rescuing many victims. 
Yiki was also an eyewitness to conversations and physical evidence that convinced him that there was a cover-up of the bombing by federal agents. He was committed to getting the truth about what happened, but a year after the bombing, he was found dead off the side of a rural road. His death was ruled as a suicide despite overwhelming evidence that he was murdered. Authorities reported that Yiki slit his wrists and neck, then miraculously climbed over a barbed wire fence, walked over a mile's distance through a nearby field, and eventually shot himself in the side of the head at an unusual angle. That's from their report. That's, that's in quotation marks. Uh, no weapon was found. No investigation was initiated. No fingerprints were taken, and no interviews were conducted. Um, so, I mean, that's weird. You know, I mean, could it have just been a real random dink that this guy was uh, stabbed, then ran, and then shot in a field at an odd angle? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, and the one other thing was Gene Corley, the engineer who was hired by the government to support its claims about the structural fire at the Branch Davidian Complex in Waco, was brought in to investigate the destruction of the Murrah Building after the Oklahoma City bombing. Corley brought along three other engineers, Charles Thornton, Meet Sozin and Paul McClar. Their investigation was conducted from half a block away, where they could not observe any of the damage directly, yet their conclusions supported the pre-existing official account. A few years later, within 72 hours of the 9-11 attack, these same four men were on site leading the investigations at the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you... Can you say that the government in itself could be a terrorist entity? I think that no, not necessarily. However, agents, the same way that splinter factions form often humanity and hate groups like that, I do think that there are agencies that have kind of gross misuses of power that you can see. I mean, I, but I mean, at the same time, there, you have view. to have a response to it. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of a catch-22. And I don't know if it's more pessimistic or more optimistic or if it's just a sidestep of whatever yours is. Of, like, I just think people in the positions of whatever, investigators, whatever, just are shitty at their jobs sometimes. I mean, it's, And they got there through whatever favors blah 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 I just, and they're just kind of bad at it yeah i mean you but, know you know also i mean it's like you know it's like we've talked about before with privacy like, I, and, and i don't know if, if i'd rather have it be like incompetence like my thing or where it's like actually like trying to cover something up i mean you figure when investigations are called in place they're done pretty quickly i mean there are committees elected and, or committees that exist to oversee these types of things, but it's like it's a really administrative thing. Like, for example, do you think Schumer would have been near the cock that he was if it wasn't the Clinton administration? The Democrats didn't have control of the presidents. I mean, like this was a pockmark on their administration if it if it went poorly, which is why he was coming down so hard on it. If he was leading this oversight committee during the Trump administration, you better believe he'd be raining fucking fire and brimstone on the ATF and not letting them take an inch. But it's all, it's it's partisan. And I mean, I, I think, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but like the same shit that you would have said that would have gotten you crazy looks from people five years ago, like, oh, the government's tapping us through our TVs and they're like, they're watching us through our, you know, stuff like that. You'd be like, you're out of your mind. And CIA documents just came out that said they're literally doing that. So I don't think anything is 
impossible, you know? Well, then I should do me through my TV. Mine's old. Yeah, I mean, I have a projection back TV, so I think if anyone's watching me through it, it's literally an NSA guy inside, inside the TV. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Set out a plate of milk and cookies for him tonight. Exactly. He'd appreciate it. Yeah, I've got some expired skim milk in my fridge. I'll give him that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, I mean, unless you've got anything else to add, I think, I mean, that's, a lot, of in, that's a lot of information. That's a lot. That's a long episode. So, um, uh, we're going to cut out a lot of the him and hawn, hopefully, but um, in, we'll the, see. in the meantime, uh, you know, if any of this stuff interests you, take a look at it. Um, there's lots of books and documentaries that exist, and, um, you know, just just keep your nose to the ground and keep your eye to, on the prize and keep your ear to <laughs> And the... don't let that explode <laughs> on you! No accidental dynamiting! <laughs> All right, see you guys later. Bye.